Amen. Thank you, Brother Dan. Tonight we're continuing our study on the Godhead, and we're going to look at the patience of God. And uh, it's interesting, I, uh, I did a word search, and I wanted a, a, a text verse to base uh, our topic tonight. Uh, and we're going to go to Romans 15.5. Anybody got that want to read it? Romans 15.5. Are you in Romans uh, 15, 5? Oh, I'm sorry. My, my mistake. You're right. Thank you, Phyllis. Notice what the Bible says, the God of what? Patience. That's our topic tonight. Now, it's interesting. Um, it's a uh, Far a lot less has been written uh, about the patience of God than a lot of the other attributes that we talk and we teach about when we come to God's character. Uh, a lot of those uh, other attributes are uh, extended at length. Uh, they talk about uh, in detail a lot of other attributes of God, but not so much is directly written about the attribute of God being a patient God. Now, by the way, how many are glad that God is patient? Huh? Yes. Why would you say amen, Wayne? Hey, that's what I'm thinking about me. I don't, but me. Now, keep in mind, uh, I did do a word search on the word patience, but also understand the, long, the word long-suffering is also uh, would be considered patience as well. And so it's important to understand that I, I believe that Patience or long-suffering certainly has to be a divine attribute of God. Because, my friend, if God wasn't long-suffering, if he wasn't patient, and Wayne, I agree with you, I'd be in trouble. I would definitely uh, be in trouble. So I think it's important, and, and again, I don't want to take away from God's wisdom. Uh, we're not trying to detract from his holiness, his power, all those things we've talked about so far. But I think we have to realize just as much as we are thankful for these other attributes, we ought to be thankful for God's patience as well, that God is truly long-suffering. Now, it's, uh, also, I checked it out, and I did look it up uh, in, a, in a word search in my, in my Bible. And you'll see that word, the actual word for patience, uh, probably less than ten times uh, in the King James Version. But it's interesting, we see it displayed all through God's Word. Uh, that the patience of God on display. Now, again, I think it's important to understand that God is a patient God. But how many are glad you see it on God's patience of God's Word everywhere? God being long-suffering, God being patient with uh, people. So I think it's important to uh, understand not only how important God's patience is, but not to uh, neglect meditating and considering that and, you know, giving God praise and thanks that he has certainly been patient with us and that God is the God of patience. Now, again, I don't know why. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the study guide I'm using is by A.W. Pink, a great uh, theologian of years gone by. But even he uh, admitted uh, we really don't know why there's not a lot written on the patience of God, at least not as much as some of the other uh, attributes. And one of the reasons he suggests uh, you know, there's so much about God that we learn from Scripture. Uh, we know that God is a God of goodness. How good is God? Yeah, He's good all the time. And so we know that. We know God is a God of mercy. And so we understand that. And one writer said that maybe the problem is, how do you separate patience from mercy and goodness? Well, it's certainly difficult, but patience is certainly, I think, a little bit different but all three of them kind of go together as well. Go to Exodus 34. Look at verse 6. All right, thank you, Dan. And notice, uh, again, God is uh, speaking to Moses here. It says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. And so again, we often find them mentioned together. 
they're kind of grouped together. But notice also there are three different things there, uh, three or four. Mercy, we see his mercy, we see his long-suffering, and we see his goodness. And so it's hard to separate them, but there certainly has to be a little bit of difference in God's long-suffering. Uh, go to Numbers 14, verse 18. Okay, thank you, Phyllis. But there again in Numbers, uh, we find the Bible talks about God's long-suffering, but also says he's a God of great mercy, and of course he's a God of forgiveness. So they're kind of linked together, but yet long-suffering is certainly separate. Uh, Dan, I don't remember now, a few weeks ago you asked a question about this particular uh, subject, and when it says that uh, God visits the iniquity on the fathers uh, upon the children until the third and fourth generation. Again, it reminds you God does not hold anybody accountable for somebody else's sins. But what the Bible is teaching is a principle here. Whenever the parents are sinful, chances are what's going to happen to the kids. It's going to be passed on. So that's, that's, the, that's the idea here. But nonetheless, we're looking tonight at God's uh, long-suffering, God's patience, if you will. Psalm 86, verse 15. Okay, there again we see them linked together. Now, I think we have to confess as well, as we look at the Scriptures overall, when we think about God's patience, it, it's really a display of His mercy uh, in one way. Uh, that's how it's frequently uh, manifested. But again, it's simply not exactly the same. Now, again, if God wasn't long-suffering, would He have mercy on us? No. So they, they, they kind of link together in that way. So I realize that, in fact, most scholars agree, there are times when it's kind of difficult to tell the difference between the two, but the bottom line is the Bible certainly teaches us that they are not one of the same. They cannot be, uh, they cannot be the same because God does make a difference. So how would, you th- how would you define God's patience? Anybody got any thought on that? How would you define God's patience? Okay. Uh, I know nobody here has ever done this, but do you know people who fly off the handle? Nobody here has ever done it, right? No. Well, I must confess, I have, okay? Does God fly off the handle? No. Uh, We know that. And so when we think of God's patience, uh, one theologian says that uh, he looks at that when he sees in God's patience, he sees God's divine goodness, he sees God's divine mercy, uh, but he also says, I want you to realize it's something uh, different. Now remember, when it comes to goodness, would you agree God is, is the greatest of that? He, he's the greatest of goodness. God is also, uh, in fact, Jesus was described as being meek and lowly, was he not? Does that mean he had no power? No, it didn't mean that. But even then, so meekness or mildness, I think, always comes along with goodness. You've got to be that way if you're going to be good. And the greater the goodness is, the greater the meekness is going to be. And that, that's certainly true of God. So the question tonight I want to ask is, who is as holy as Christ? No one is. And we, we're talking about God as well. Uh, who is so meek as Christ? No one. Now think about that. And, and I still, this still amazes me, but it shouldn't. Uh, for example, when he stood, uh, when they put him on trial, and they spit in his face, and they plucked his beard, what did he do? Do what? And he let him do it. Is that because he didn't have the power to do anything about it? <laughs> what could he have done? Exactly, I can't where zap, and he could have. But understand, he kept it under control. That's long-suffering. And so as good as God is, as great as God is, uh, you know, he's very slow to anger, and that's also a part of his mercy and his long-suffering. Uh, Psalm 145, 8, we're not going to read it tonight, but it talks about God being full of compassion. It talks about our God being 
slow to anger. Now, so that's important. Now, kind of, let me kind of give you a more condensed definition of divine patience. And, and basically, that's the power which God exercises over himself. Now, think about that. Can God get angry? Sure. Can God be a God of wrath? Yes. And, and we know that that's true about God. So what, what's interesting is this long-suffering, this patience, I believe, then, is God exercising this over himself, and it causes him to put up with you and me. It causes him to put up with wicked people, if you will. It causes him to hold off on bringing punishment. Now, I, I think it, it, it's probably true. A lot of people in our world today have the idea of God as if he's got a big club in heaven waiting on what? Somebody to mess up. <laughs> there you go, Dan. So he can punish him. But that's not true. See, God's long-suffering delays that punishment. I, did I put Nahum 1-3 on, on, on our nose? I don't know if I did or not. Maybe I didn't. But anyway, Nahum talks about uh, God being long-suffering. So the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. He is slow to anger and great in power. So remember, God does have power. He is meek, but he's also strong. As holy as he is, he's still a God of, uh, of power. He's a God that's able to control his anger and his actions, if you will. And it's interesting, uh, a lot of times in our world, when men are giving great power, what happens to them? They what now? Yeah, they get power greedy. And a lot of times, you know, they, they, they want to be in control. Uh, they, uh, they're not often ready to forgive someone, uh, to bear a, a fault, or if you will, uh, because they simply think, hey, I'm in power, and what I say goes, and I'm in charge of everything. Now, it's interesting, because man does want that power, and he wants more of it. We need to understand uh, that that is detrimental because it causes us to do things out of control that we wouldn't normally do. So God is slow to anger because he is great in power and he has no less power over himself than he does over you and I. God is able to control us. He's able to control himself. So I, one writer said that's probably the best way to tell the difference between uh, God's mercy and God's patience. Now, so when we think about the patience of God, his long-suffering, who does that benefit? Us. All of us. It absolutely benefits all of us. Now, can you imagine for a minute, and going back to John chapter 1, I don't have the verses, but John said he came to his own, and his own received him not. He came to his own people, I mean his own world, the first own means, and the own people means the Jews. And for the most part, how did the Jews receive him? They didn't, did they? Did he not know that ahead of time? Sure he did, but he did what? He came anyway. That is a picture of God's long-suffering. And that long-suffering is what causes God to be able to sustain great grief from mankind, uh, to be able to deal with those who reject him without immediately avenging himself. But a question I want to ask, will they get away with that forever? No, but he holds back. Now, again, we talk about uh, the word patience, uh, divine long-suffering, uh, and oftentimes we'll read, and we've already read a couple of verses, where it talks about God being slow to anger. Would you agree being slow to anger is equal to being long-suffering? Sure. Not 
being angry quickly. Nehemiah 9, verse 17. Do you, do you know? That? Let me give you the context here. Nehemiah is referring back in history, and if I'm not mistaken, he's referring back to the time of the Exodus. And when they got to that mount, I mean, to the Promised Land, they said, "Wait, we can't go in." They actually decided we're going to we're going to appoint us a leader. And guess where we're going to go? We're going back to Egypt. We are going to go back into bondage. Now, if you were God and that happened, how do you think you'd respond to that? Let him go. Now, you're better than I am. I mean, more than me, I'd, I'd zap him then, right? I like your term, Wayne. I'd, I'd zap him right then. But Nehemiah reminds him. You know, they, they, they decide we're going back. But he also, also understood and realized that God was a God of passion. Yes. By who? Yeah, yeah. When the time doesn't, but God is—he's certainly slow uh, to anger. Psalm one hundred three, verse eight. Okay. Again, he is merciful. He's gracious. Slow to anger. Again, that, that idea is being patient. So I guess my question would be: anybody here? Trying to find the right word here. Anybody here not passionate? Anybody here not have emotions? Uh, I, I, I kind of smile every time I hear somebody say, "Well, I, I'm just not emotional." And sometimes I'll tell them, but "I'd like to be in your, in your car with you when you're at the red light and the guy ahead of you waits two seconds longer than you think he should." Does that change your emotion sometimes? Sure it does. And when I think about God, does God have passion? Sure he does. Does God have feelings? Sure he does. And, and so we have to realize there are passions and emotions in God's divine nature. But we also have to understand at the same time God's wisdom and his will He is pleased to act uh, in such a way that not takes away from his majesty, but exalts his majesty. And aren't you glad that God is not like man? Aren't you glad that he's not fickle? Aren't you glad that he's not up and down and and you never know how he's going to be from one day to the next? Aren't you glad that our God doesn't change? And so, yes, he is a God of passion, but he also knows how to control that passion. So it's also interesting, uh, going back to the Exodus, at least on one or two occasions, uh, God basically told Moses, Moses, you step back, and I will get rid of these people, and we'll just start over, me and you, ground zero, and you'll, you'll be the father of this nation. And of course, what Moses does, basically, and especially there, uh, when they decide to go back at, at Kadesh Barnea, not go in, uh, Moses really appeals to that divine character of God's patience. Lord, don't do that. Don't destroy this people. Now, what's also interesting to me, not that Moses didn't care about the people because he did. I mean, he was their pastor, if you will, and he had a heart for them. But most importantly, he was concerned for God's character. He said, Lord, if you if you don't bring them in, if you destroy them, then the heathen are going to say, well, you didn't have power to do that. Well, God does have the power to do that. But the, the, the amazing thing to me is God withheld uh, his wrath, at least to the extent he didn't destroy them completely during that time. But nonetheless, God had told Moses, uh, Moses, just kind of step away. I'm going to smite them with pestilence. 
And I am going to disinherit this people. Let's read it, Numbers 14, verse 17 and 18. Now, it's kind of interesting here. Thank you, Phyllis, for reading that. Uh, God said, Moses, back away. I'm going to zap them. All right? I'm going to disinherit them. They're no longer going to be my people. And you have to know the wisdom that God gave Moses because Moses goes to God and he said, Lord, I want to see your power. And I know you have great power. But he's saying, Lord, the best thing that I want to see it demonstrated, not in your wrath, but in your patience. In your long suffering and in your mercy. Because I know you are a forgiving God. I know you forgive sin. I know you forgive iniquity and all those kind of things. And, and he said, but I also realize you don't clear the guilty. I understand that. And, and that's where Moses said, God, that your greatness of your patience is really on display. Now, keep in mind, uh, in Numbers, the Bible said, be sure your sins will find you out. There is no, there, you know, sin always brings a penalty. It always results in some kind of punishment. So please understand that. But at least in his long suffering, God was able in his power to have self-control and not destroy the people. Romans 9 verse 22. All right, thank you, Dan. Now, notice what the question that Paul has here. He's saying, suppose God was willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. Now, can you imagine what that would be like? What kind of, what kind of display would that be like? Any idea? If God opened up his complete wrath. Total destruction. It would be Unbelievable. So Paul says, suppose God's willing to do that. Now, could he do it? Sure. But Paul says, suppose God decided, you know what? Rather than displaying my wrath, well, maybe God didn't have the right to. Does he have the right to display display his wrath? Sure he does. But suppose God says he decides to endure and exercise patience and long-suffering with those who really deserve destruction. I'm one of them. How about you? I deserve God's wrath. But God has been patient with me. So the bottom line is this. Yes, God has the right to show his anger. God has the right to show his power, to show his wrath, if you will. But thank God he is patient even with those who he's angry with. He is patient with them. Now, suppose God decided, all right, we're done here. Uh, And God said, you know what? It's time to break all of these bad vessels. What would happen? Yeah, all of us. And if God decided, we, we, we wouldn't see the power of his self-control. It wouldn't be as clear. But the bottom line is, we see God's long-suffering, we see his patience, because God is willing to bear with the wickedness, and he holds off his punishment such a long time. Now, keep in mind, it's in that power of God, of holding back his anger, that his goodness and long-suffering, to me, is best on display. That's the God we serve. Now, the problem is, those who are not believers, they see that from a wrong attitude. They see his, uh, they actually interpret his long-suffering 
a whole lot differently. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11. Uh, Solomon tells him, gives a good principle here. You see, God is long-suffering by not punishing the evil right away. Now, he will one day if they don't repent. We know that. But God holds that back. He wants all men everywhere to come to repentance. But the wicked see that and say, well, <laughs> the bottom line is, because it's, been, it's not happened yet, so why continue on? Why, not, why change? God's not going to think about it. Are they right about that? No. One day, God is certainly going to do something about it. Now, please understand, what they abuse and interpret wrong, I adore. I am glad that God is long-suffering. I'm glad that God didn't give me and doesn't give me what I deserve. I'm glad he's long-suffering and he gives me mercy. That's the God of the Bible. Now, let's go back to our text in Romans 15, verse 5. And Paul said this, Now, uh, the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So, by reading that in our text from the Word of God, I think it's clear that the God of patience is one of the divine titles given to God. And I think he's described that way for at least three reasons. Number one, where does patience that we have come from? It comes from God. He is both the author and the object of the grace of patience in you and I. It comes from him. Any grace we have, any patience we have comes from God. A second reason God described that way is because that's what he is in himself. By his own character, by his divine attributes, God is patient. But also, God does it as a pattern for us. He says, here's how you need to do it. In fact, Paul said in Romans 15, 5, May he grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. So just as God is a patient God, he's a God of consolation, a God of comfort. God says, I I do that because it's part of who I am. I can't help but be that. But also, I want you to realize it's on display that you can see it and you might live that way toward other people. Colossians 3, verse 12. So we have a list that Paul gives us, and quite a list there. Now remember that word bowels is an old King James word for affection, the deep-rooted affection. But in that list, Paul says uh, we're to put on long-suffering. We're to be like God. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Okay. When somebody... Gets under your skin. Dan. Do we need to call an official business meeting tonight? To lower his salary? Huh? <laughs> Thank you, Dan, for taking care of that. Were you, were you trying to keep them all to yourself, Dan? We'll give Dan a minute to get them out, okay? Oh, you were hoping, weren't you, Wayne? <laughs> so it's interesting. We know that God is a patient God. Uh, we read Romans fifteen five a moment ago where uh, God's patience is a pattern for us to follow. Uh, Paul talked to, wrote to the church of Colossae. And he's, he says, you know, be put on, because we've been chosen by God, uh, we're holding a beloved. <clears throat> one of the things we need to put on is long-suffering. And then Ephesians 5, 1, uh, he says, well, 
uh, we're to be followers of God. We're to imitate God. What does that mean? Ah, act like he acts. Exactly. We're to act like God acts. So my question is, when someone gets under your skin, um, every once in a while, Pam's in the back, she can't hear me, I will tell her, you're on my last nerve. And she says, you're on all my nerves. But, it, but anyway, when, when somebody rubs you the wrong way, and you're just disgusted with their actions, and your mind says, good thing I don't have a zap gun, because what would happen? I'd zap them. So whenever we're tempted, we have to understand, Paul says we're to follow God, we're to imitate God. And so I need to ask myself, is that what God would do? Is that how God would react in this situation? Or when someone has wronged us, or we think we're going to get revenge, when those thoughts come to our lives, into our minds, I think one of the best things we can do is remind ourselves how patient God has been with me. How patient God has been with me personally. And i got to tell you, there's not a day goes by. I'm not thankful for that. God's been patient with me. So let's look at some of the ways throughout the Scriptures we talk about God's patience. Let's go to Noah's day. Uh, It's interesting. Um, God is even patient in His dealing with sinners. And He showed that even back as far as Noah's day. Now, we're not going to take time to read the whole story, but in Genesis chapter 6, uh, the Bible says that man became, in everything he did, only evil continually. Evil was abounding in that way. They were very corrupt. Now, it's also interesting, God didn't destroy them until he warned them. Isn't that true? He warned them ahead of time, what was going to happen if they didn't repent? First uh, Peter three twenty. What's that verse telling us, Jason? He showed his patience. It was on display. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. All right, so Peter reminds us in First Peter, Jason read it a moment ago, uh, that we see God's patience when God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In Genesis chapter 6, God says to Noah that his spirit will not always strive with man. Now, I don't know how many times I've read that verse, and I missed this part of it. And it, it it's not really profound, but it's deep. What does that fact, the fact that God says, my spirit will not always strive with man, what does that imply? I'm sorry? Okay, there's going to come a time it's going to be enough. But does it not also imply he's been striving with man? I think so. And yes, there's going to be a time it's going to stop. But even in Genesis chapter 6, God is saying, I have been striving. But there's going to be a time when it won't be anymore. So it's interesting. The same verse says in verse 3, His days shall be 120 years. Now, we don't have a definite answer for this for sure, but most theologians agree from what Jason read in Peter that while Noah prepared the ark, God waited. 
Um, so the idea here is that during that time, when God warned them about repenting, he probably waited no less than 120 years. And of course, during that time of that 120 years, not only was Noah building an ark, what else was he doing? Say it again. Yeah. Go to 2 Peter 2.5. Are you in 2 Peter 2 5? So God used him to warn the people. And again, we can't be emphatic about it, and dogmatic, I mean, about it, but it's believed that for 120 years, God waited. That is God's patience. So that was in Noah's time. Go to Romans chapter 1. Let's just read verses 19 through 25. Uh, And this is God's patience toward, uh, I guess, the heathen or the Gentiles. Anybody want to read verses 19 through 25? Thank you, Phyllis. Now, again, we went back to Noah's day. And here in Romans chapter 1, I want you to understand the first three chapters of Romans deals with the sin problem. It's the whole world on trial. And here in Romans 1, he's dealing with Gentiles. And uh, you say, well, how how do you know that? Well, there's several indications. uh, But one of them I underlined as Phyllis was reading there, uh, there in uh, verse uh, 26, it says, uh, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, by the way, uh, how do I know this not talking about Jews necessarily? Did the Jews know about God? Sure they did. Uh, they didn't need, I mean, the heavens certainly spoke to their heart about it, but they had God's revelation, God's word, his oracles. So in this first chapter, uh, with God speaking through the Apostle Paul, is fo- focusing on the heathen or the Gentiles. And he, Paul reminds us there was a time when they knew about God, and certainly there was, uh, because everybody came from Noah, but through the years they left God. And he gives a whole litany of things that went on here because they simply refused to live for God. Now, uh, by the way, I do want to... Uh, interject something here. I heard John MacArthur speak on this past week on just a clip. It's interesting as these things that are listed here uh, where Paul talks about uh, they changed uh, the glory of God, uh, the the, uh, uncorruptible God in the image of corruptible man. Uh, They also became vain in their own imaginations. Uh, They professed themselves to be wise and then they they were really fools. Uh, They changed the truth of God. They began to dishonor their own bodies. Now, keep in mind, that's the Word of God. When people get away from God, they do these things. And I never thought about it in this realm. And I heard John MacArthur address it this past week. It really just a small uh, YouTube clip of a message. I'm not sure how the message it was. But he spoke about how our nation is, has passed laws protecting people in this group. Isn't that true? 
And he said, we need to understand the reason is because our government is run by Satan. And Satan knows homosexuality, uh, same-sex identity, or this, this non-gender identity, said it, we're losing our identity. And homosexuality destroys the family. And guess what Satan knows? If I can destroy the family, I can do what? I can destroy the nation. And so that's what's going on here. These are people who have forgotten God, who don't want anything to do with God. And I want to remind you again, I don't care how many laws they pass to make it legal, it doesn't make it right. In fact, it will never be right in the eyes of God. But please understand, uh, and I've heard preachers say it through the years, and I, I guess they bought it from one another. Uh, I've heard several say, well, if God doesn't uh, punish America, he'll have to go back and apologize to Solomon and Gomorrah. Well, I don't think God needs to apologize to anybody. Isn't that true? Uh, so, but I understand what you're trying to say. America is getting worse and worse and worse, and we're even passing legislation to protect groups like this. So my point is this. Could God, could God pour his wrath out right now and destroy them all? Sure he could. But again, we see his patience toward the Gentiles. Go to Acts chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. Uh, thank you, Dan. Now, again, Paul is, uh, let me see, no, I think it's, I read that, was it Peter? But nonetheless, Paul, I think, was preaching there. And it reminds that there was a time when God allowed people, all nations, to do their own thing. But he says even during that time, God left a witness. In fact, he did good. And also understand who does he give rain from heaven to? The good and the bad. He doesn't neglect anybody. And so God shows his patience even to the Gentile sinners. I'm glad he showed patience toward me. So he showed patience in Noah's day. He showed patience to the Gentiles. But he also showed patience toward Israel. So let me ask a question. Why in the world did Israel need God's patience? They always did. Kept turning. They, they, in fact, God said, you're stiff-necked. Uh, you're always rebelling. And yet, he showed patience. Well, how did he do it? Number one, he put up with him for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, think about that. In fact, uh, Paul was preaching at Antioch. Uh, he reminded the Jews how God had put up with their ancestors. Go to Acts 13, verse 18. What's that mean? He, for 40 years. I've got to ask you a question, all right? How many would have done that here tonight? Not me. He put up with them for 40 years. So the second way, once they, so, okay, 40 years in the wilderness, they finally make it to the promised land, and now things have changed, and they're living right lives before God. True or false? False. Absolutely not. So for 800 years in the promised land. Now, so they go into the land of Canaan, and the first 300 years are under the period of judges. And they rebel against God. God would bring judgment. They cry out to God. God forgive them. And then what would happen again? They rebel against God. This is a vicious circle. And, and so they, they moved to the promised land. And one thing God told them through Joshua, when you go in there, get rid of all them people. Because I don't want you to take up their gods. I don't want you marrying uh, their women and their husbands, I mean their men. I don't want them to, enter, to be intermarried with you. Why? Because I don't want you to take on their idolatry. Now, folks, it had nothing to do with race. It had everything to do with making God the God of your life. That's what it was about. So God said, don't do that. And what did they do? They did it. They rebelled against God. Absolutely. Now, we know that God did chastise them. And at times, very severely. 
But the miracle is he didn't utterly destroy them. And each time when they cried out in distress, what did God do? Thank you again, Dan. He'd send a deliverer. That's the God of patience. Now, it's also interesting. Finally, their iniquity rose to a very high level. And yet, he spared them another 500 years before he carried them into captivity into Babylon. So we have 40 years in the wilderness, almost eight, a little over 800 years in the promised land, and then God said, that's enough. You're going to go into captivity. But let me ask you a question. Of all those things that happened to the Jews, did God warn them ahead of time about it? Yes. Over and over and over and over again. So let's fast forward to the crucifixion. And I want you to realize you remember the parable of the fellow who had a vineyard and he went away and he sent his servants to check on it and those taking care of the vineyard killed his servants. Every time he sent one, they kill him. And finally, the owner said, I know what I'll do. I will send my son. Surely, they will honor him. Well, the caretakers of the vineyard said, here comes his son. What did he decide to do with him? Yeah, we can hear, we're going to kill him. Now, again, that's a parable. Who do you think God was talking about? His son, Jesus Christ. He has sent the prophets through the years. They rejected them. Some they even killed. And so finally, he sent his son. Now, by the way, if you read the context of that parable, when it's all said and done, the Bible says the Jews understood he was talking about them. So, nonetheless, when the rebellion of the Jews finally reached its climax when they crucified the Son of God. Would you agree? That's a climax. It's also interesting, about 40 years go by where he finally sends the Romans in against them only after they declared and decided for themselves they were unworthy of eternal life. Let me stop before we read our verse. If you know anything about Paul's missionary journeys, anytime he went into a new city, where did he always preach the gospel first? Say it again. Why? To the Jews first. Now remember, remember, Paul's after the crucifixion. And God is still reaching out. Now Paul was the called apostle for the Gentiles. But every city he went in, if they had a synagogue, that's where he went first. Now let's read Acts 13, verse 46. Again, God is a God of patience. Now, make no mistake about it, and I know the debate every year around Easter time, who killed Jesus? Well, we all did, right? He died for our sins. But the Jews had a big hand in that. They rejected the only Messiah God would ever send. So the great news is God has been wonderfully patient through the years, long-suffering, and it's still with our world today. People haven't stopped sinning. They haven't stopped rebelling against God. I mean, every day we see God's Word trampled underfoot. And we see God Himself, uh, not even uh, secretly, but openly being despised. And so to me it's amazing uh, that God didn't, doesn't instantly strike these people dead. 
who are just so much in their in his face against him, but his patience does not act that way. So you remember back in the days of Moses when Dathan and Abiram decided, you know, we're going to be the ones in charge. What did God do? He opened the, up the earth, and what happened? He swallowed them. Uh, you remember when uh, uh, is it An- Acts chapter five? Who am I talking about here? Yeah, there you go. Uh, they bought that gift and, and lied. What happened to them? Yeah, that. There you go. I, I, I know I've told you before, but Vance Havner, a preacher years ago, he said if God acted that way today, like he did then, every church would have to build a morgue in a basement. That's true. Uh, because that, you know, why does God hold back his wrath? Well, the only answer is because he's long suffering. That's it. Well, we're about out of time, but I think the most important one is this. What about God's patience toward us? How am I glad that God is patient with you? Amen. I'm glad he has been, and I'm glad he continues to be. Because not only did I need it before I got saved, I reckon that I need it now, even now that I am saved. Second Peter 3.9. What's God's desire? All repent. He doesn't desire any punishment. He doesn't want to zap people. That's not what God's all about. But make sure they will answer to God one of these days. But that is not the will of God. So what's our mandate? Matthew 5, 48. Be ye therefore perfect. Why? Even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We need to be imitators of God. We need to be long-suffering the way God is. And make sure we understand that God has truly been patient with us. How many are glad that he is? Amen. Oh, let's stop there for tonight. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Any special prayer with us tonight before we pray? Alan? Yes.